Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 24. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered. Eat what's offered to you. Heal those, those there who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and, you are, and are not welcomed, go into its street and say, even the dust of your town will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Ty and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Ty and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fell like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, 
for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. And thank you, Helena, very much. Good morning, everybody. Uh, for the benefit of anyone who's new here, my name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar. We're in the middle of looking through Luke's Gospel. We've got some copies on the welcome desk if you'd like a, a modern copy of Luke's Gospel to take your very welcome to one there. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Jesus said, blessed are the eyes that see what you've seen. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness to us that we've sung about in opening our eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is the wonder of forgiveness because of what he did on the cross. The assurance that this life is not the end because he rose from the dead. And for your faithfulness all through our life that we've sung about. We pray as we think about uh, what it is for us to be on mission that you will speak to us here today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a tremendous joy just standing there as we did the giving for the Mission Partner Gift Day. Uh, I'm not preaching a sermon on giving. Usually I'm preaching on giving when we do the gift day and then we give at the end of it. But we're not doing that today. And uh, I think Ross was saying in the band, he knows what the sermon will be. He knows I'll say that God loves a cheerful giver and he knows it's the Greek word he knows, it's hilarion, that we get hilarious from. But there was this tremendous joy, not just on Ross's face, he's hiding from the camera there at the moment, but as everyone came up and gave, there was just this joy. It is good, we're made to be people who give. And we praise God for our mission partners all around the world and these especially that we're supporting, they've given by going with their whole lives to do what they're doing. Uh, and we support them. And if, if you're new here today and you don't know what we're talking about, do take one of the Mission Partner uh, Gift Day forms. You can look up and get more detail online. There's interviews with them about what they're doing. Uh, it's really wonderful, and it's a great joy to be in partnership with them and to give. Uh, but we are, in a sense, all mission partners. Uh, we are in this church. God's given all of us a role. Uh, it's wonderful when people do go, called by God to go somewhere else. Uh, but there's always a slight danger in saying, well, they're doing missions. Someone going to teach in a school overseas, we might say, well, they're a mission partner. But someone God calls to teach in a school here, they're just as much of a mission partner. There is a wide open mission field as we live in a sort of post-Christendom society where people don't know the good news of Jesus. Uh, and our vision over the next 10 years is to give everybody in this area a meaningful opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus by 10 years' time. 10 years will be the 2,000th anniversary of the resurrection by our calendar. So we're kind of joining in with as a movement around the world to really let's make sure we can 
tell the good news to our world in this next 10 years. So we're keen to do that in this area together with others. Uh, and we have good news. So we are, in a sense, all mission partners. And I thought I'd speak today. And the way it fell out as I was planning the sermons through Leek, that we got to this passage on the mission gift day. And I thought, that's really, that works rather nicely. We are mission partners. God has a role for us in our schools, in our workplaces, in our streets, in the villages, in the structures of the town, in our leisure groups, in retired housing complexes, in our extended families, wherever we are, we have a part to play in sharing the good news of Jesus. Um, Juliet and I were on holiday earlier, a couple of weeks ago, and I've been sort of reading through Luke along with the pace we're doing it uh, as a church. So just going quite slow when um, we're having a break and um, keeping up to speed with where we're up to, just in my own prayer times. And uh, I hadn't got as far as preparing this sermon but I was lying on a sunbed, enjoying the sun. Uh, it's really nice on holiday having a swimming pool. When it was hot here, they didn't provide swimming pools in Vicarages, which is a great shame But when it was hot. But, but on, on holiday, that was really good. And I, let, and I just had that, you know how you get a thought in your head and you think, Lord, is that you? But the thought in my head was Luke 10 is a blueprint for the way we should do mission here today. And it wasn't that I was trying to prepare my sermon on Luke 10. I was aware I'd be preaching on it in due course, but it wasn't the first sermon when I got back. That was one last week on Luke 9. And the more I've thought about that, the more I think this is, there is so much here. I'm just going to share three particular things from the passage today. But I think I want to come back to this again and again. We're in a new era, a post-Christendom era. In Christendom, where the nation assumed that everybody kind of knew what the Christian faith was about, we had a policy of a parish church with a vicar and the people in that church kind of pastoring the area. Well, that system is really struggling. Um, by God's grace, we have a healthy church here and God is good. Uh, God is still good out in many of the villages, but that system is really struggling. And I think this passage that talks about going around the villages where Jesus is going to go has something to say to us how in this area we look to share the good news of Jesus uh, among places where it's not so well known and in our streets and in our workplaces. Uh, so we'll come back to this again and again. But at the start of it, verse 1, uh, it says, After this, Jesus sent out 72 others. He sent out the 12 last time. But there's a great crowd who were listening to Jesus and there were 72 of them that were ready enough to go off and do some mission. And I feel the 72 kind of represent us. This is the people who've been hanging around with Jesus, who know a fair bit, who haven't got it all sorted, uh, but Jesus has a role for us. Now, if you've got Bibles in front of you, you'll see there's a little footnote that says other versions say 70. Was it 70 or 72? Nonsense doesn't matter. But uh, when I was a curate up in Chesterfield, one of the things, projects I did was mastermind a, a visiting of the whole parish. It was a big parish, 15,000 people. We took a questionnaire out, finding out what people believed about God. But one of the questions was also, would you like to know any more? And for people who did want to know more, we could share more. For people who didn't, we didn't. And this passage was significant then. And I was praying for 70 or 72, whichever it is, Lord. Let's have 70 or 72 visitors by one of those glorious bits of divine humour. We had 71 visitors <laughs> that come. So I still don't know the answer whether this is 70 or 72. Anyway, it's that sort of number. There's more of us here, and there's a big task. Uh, and Jesus sends them out to every place he was about to go. There's, he has a plan and a strategy at work. 
And all of us are included in all this. Just to uh, step back from Luke to the end of Matthew's gospel for a bit, to the Great Commission, which is where we are, Matthew 28. This is after the resurrection, one of the foundational passages for the mission we have as a whole church throughout the world. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted still, so if you've got some questions, that's okay. Uh, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you all the time, always, to the very end of the age. This is our great commission. And Jesus told them to do it, but he told them as a 12 had to do it. Then he told them as a 72 had to do it. Now he tells the whole church to do it. So kind of our job, what the, the, the instructions are there in, in bigger form in Luke 10 and in other places where Jesus has told them what to do. Uh, if we could just go back to the previous slide, Matthew 28, 16, there we go where he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Our mission partners, some of them have gone to other nations. Though the Greek of that is, as you are going about your life. It's a, the emphasis is make disciples rather than go. It's as you're going. So for all of us, as we're going about our life with neighbours, with family, in workplaces, this is what we're called to do to share our faith in such a way that other people become disciples of Jesus. We're called to do this here, just as our mission partners are out in Brazil and Albania and Uganda and uh, all the other places we're in partnership. So, three things, back to Luke 10. Just, just all sort of introduction. We are all caught up in this. It's the big mission that we're involved in. God's given us a vision for the next 10 years, and there's some stuff for us to learn from this passage. Three areas. Jesus talks about the harvest, He talks about the workers, and he talks about the task, how better to go about it. So we'll think about the harvest, we'll think about the workers, that's us, and we'll think about the task. So the harvest, first of all, verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God is at work throughout the whole world. He is at work drawing people to himself. We'll think about this a little bit more later on. Uh, but the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is at hand. People are within reach. They're only a prayer away from God who is good. And we're able to help them link up together. And people are ready. Not everybody's ready. But God's been at work in lots of people, uh, obviously, before you harvest, crops grow, but there comes a time where they're ready. And there are lots of people around who God has been working in who are ready. You think back to your own story of coming to faith or some of you on your way to faith. Uh, God is at work. You think of some of the unlikely people. I love where St. Paul's Church, named after St. Paul, the most unlikely convert of all time, the man who persecuted the church. But he was ready. I love particularly the story of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who an angel appears to and uh, says, go and find Peter. And uh, he sends off some of his servants to get Peter and he gathers everyone. And God has to speak to Peter three times to go. And we think Peter's the great hero, but Cornelius is already ready. The harvest and Peter eventually turns up and there's a house full of people and he shares the good news. And they are ready 
to become a whole new worshipping community in that place. And just as God was at work with a Paul or Cornelius back in the way, he is at work in our area. Some of the people on your streets, in your workplace, in your family, they are ready. And it's just somehow to make this link. The harvest is plentiful. And we seem to have got past the days of the militant atheism. You know, 10 years ago, it was all Dawkins and everybody else and God is dead and all that nonsense. Um, rather embarrassing to the scientific community the way Dawkins wrote his books. But COVID seems to have dealt with that. There weren't many atheist food banks going and other things going, but churches were doing lots of things that were helpful. And there's a new hunger. There's a new awareness that our society is broken, our world is damaged, we're damaged, and we need help. There's an understanding that the government cannot sort it all out, whichever colour of government you would choose to be better at it, uh, none of them will sort it. There's a more fundamental thing going on. That all of us are made in God's image. All of us have sinned and got out of touch with God. And God longs for everybody to come back to him. And until that fundamental thing is done, all the rest is sticking plaster, really. Uh, it matters. Schools matter. Hospital matters. Care matters. That, don't get me wrong. But that can't address the real problems of the heart that we're in God's world, out of touch with him, so it's not surprising it goes wrong. And Jesus says this is urgent. Verse 4, uh, he says, when you go off, don't greet anyone on the road. I don't think this means don't say hi as you walk past. Greeting in those days means sitting down, having a meal with people, taking all day. They're saying, look, I'm giving you a job to do. This matters. There's an urgency to what Jesus gave them then. But there's an urgency to our task now because there will be a day of judgment, a day of reckoning when God sorts everything out. It will either come when Jesus comes again. Love it if that's in our lifetime. That would be great. But if not, it comes when people die and there's a reckoning for them. And Jesus talks about this in this passage. Let me read to you from verse 13 to 16. Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Uh, and then there's this, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. There's a real reckoning going on. And Jesus is very clear that ultimately there is a judgment. There's sheep and there's goats. There's wise and there's foolish. Here, there's for him or against him. Do you listen or do you reject? We had this a bit in the last chapter. Luke chapter 9 verse 50 said this. Whoever is not against you is for you. That's a nice way. When things are going well, by and large, people are for you unless they're against you. In the next chapter, in Luke 11, we'll get this. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Something's shifted. And now if they're not with Jesus, they're against him. There ultimately is a day of reckoning. And while God wants everybody to be in relationship with him, and that's the way we're made to be, love, love never forces itself. You can't force someone to be in relationship with you. And God offers it on an open hand, but there will come a time when it's too late either when someone dies or when Jesus comes again. So there is an urgency to this message. We have good news, 
but it's a bit like if there's an invitation to a party that says RSVP, there comes a date when the party's happened, and if you haven't replied, I'm going, it's too late, <laughs> you've missed it. And there is a day of reckoning. Uh, now, don't get us wrong, God wants everybody to be saved. Peter put it like this, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Uh, we might think, goodness me, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has come. When's he going to come? Peter's just said with the Lord, he's outside time. A day is like a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years like a day. He's not slow. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you're on the way sorting out your Christian faith, thank God that Jesus hasn't come again yet. He's given you time to get this sorted. Well, some of you looking around, I can see, came to faith over the last year and were baptized. Praise God, he's given you time. But there will come a day, and Jesus is very clear about this, when there will be a day of judgment, and that is the end of the opportunity to make up our mind. So there's a harvest field. Some people are ready. Ultimately, when Jesus comes again, there will be an eternal harvest. Uh, and the other side of that, for those of us who say yes to Jesus, there is an eternity with him that we cannot imagine how wonderful it will be. But tragically, for those who say no, it's too awful to contemplate. That's why Jesus died, to save people from that. Uh, so this matters. There's a harvest, and it's urgent, and it matters. Um, there's much more that can be said about the harvest, but let's come on to the workers. Uh, this is us. Uh, back to verse 2 again of our passage. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, we know that. Uh, the church as a whole in the West, um, there's a lot more of us now than there were when Jesus said this, but the vast majority do not share our faith. The workers are few. So, so first of all, we need to pray. That's the first thing. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I call this the other Lord's Prayer. Uh, the one that we called the Lord's Prayer, we prayed earlier. But Jesus also told us to pray this. I slightly wonder why we don't pray this every week as well. I have on my phone an alarm set to 10.02, which beeps at me at 10.02 every day apart from my day off. Why I should have a day off from praying this prayer, I don't know. But, I, <laughs> I don't. Um, but 10.02, it beeps me to remind me of Luke 10, verse 2. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Will you... Join me in praying that. Uh, in this area, our vision to give everybody an opportunity. How on earth is that going to happen? Well, let's ask the Lord to raise up people together with others in other churches that we can do this. Let's pray. The workers are few. The workers are vulnerable. Now, you don't need me to tell you. Verse 3, you, will feel, you feel this. As soon as you start sharing your faith, you feel vulnerable. Can we put verse 3 up? Have we got that? There we are. Jesus says... What a pep talk this is. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And they went. <laughs> I'm amazing. It's an extraordinary pep talk, isn't it? I mean, lambs don't stand much of a chance among wolves. But uh, you'd think that you'd put your money on the wolves, wouldn't you? But Jesus has said he's with them. You will feel vulnerable. So it's no good us saying, well, I'm not very good at sharing my faith. I don't think I'll do it. I feel a bit vulnerable. Yes, you will. <laughs> so did they. The amazing thing is that they went. If you're feeling a little vulnerable about this, that's probably good. It keeps us praying, saying, God, help. 
Uh, those who do this in their own strength and their own confidence tend to be known as Bible bashers or whatever. They tend to do more harm than good. It's sharing the goodness of God in our life gently with the people we come across in a way that works with them and being prepared to take the flack from the wolves. Uh, the workers are few, they're vulnerable, but we represent Jesus. I love verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me, but whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. God wants people in relationship with him, and his plan is for us to say something about him. And if people listen to us, Jesus says they're listening to God. And if they reject us, he says they're rejecting God. So we need to be the most like Jesus we can be. But uh, this is an important thing. We represent Jesus. And Jesus gives us authority. He gave the 12 authority over uh, evil. He gives his whole church authority over evil. Uh, just listen to this exchange again from verse 17 when they come back. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, the power of the enemy, the evil one, is powerful. The devil is strong. He's described in Scripture as like a dragon or a roaring lion. But God is far greater. God is infinite and the devil is finite. Yeah, I love that picture in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress of Christian walking the way to the celestial city and he sees lions either side of the path and wonders how he'll get through. But then he sees they're chained. They can't touch him. They can roar, but he stays with the Lord on his path and they can't touch him. And yes, evil is powerful, but God's given us something that's stronger, the presence of his Holy Spirit and the good news. So we're secure, verse 20. That's where, Don't rejoice that the Spirit submits to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Whatever happens, we are ultimately secure. And that is code for the new heaven and new earth uh, that God is preparing when Jesus returns, when all will be restored and there'll be no more death and no more suffering and no more tears and no more... Uh, none of the pain of this world. It will all be renewed. It will be wonderful. So we have a lot to be joyful about. We're to rejoice about that. And we find Jesus rejoicing. Just the last few verses of that passage. Uh, Don't rejoice the Spirit. Submit to you. Rejoice your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned. You've revealed them to little children and so on. Jesus is full of joy. And we should be full of joy that God has revealed to us. So we're the workers. We've got good news, we're secure, we're to rejoice, we have authority of the evil one, we're not to be anxious, but we are vulnerable, and we are few, so we're to pray for more. Uh, there's much more to be said about the workers, there's another sermon there somewhere, but we've got 10 years to do this, so we'll, we'll, we won't say it all at once. Let's look at the task as Jesus describes it. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, so what are they to do? From verse 5, let's pick this up. So they're to go out two by two around the villages. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. 
when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. So the idea is that they go to a place and they find a person of peace, someone who's interested in what they've got to say about Jesus, someone who welcomes them into their home. And they're not to go around, once they find that person, they don't go around everywhere else, they stay with that person, that person's family, meets their friends, and they make a base for the kingdom of God there. Now, I think that principle is how we're meant to do mission today. We look for someone who, if you like, is a person of peace. When tomorrow someone says, what did you do at the weekend? Don't just describe everything you did apart from going to church. And you say, yeah, no, I went to church. Like, I say, oh, I didn't know you went to church. That's really interesting. Tell me more. That's probably a person of peace. You went where I hate church. Probably not a person of peace. <laughs> just don't go any further. <laughs> just, just quit while you're ahead. <laughs> but it's look for a person of peace. They will be them in your families, in your workplaces, among your neighbours, in the orchestras you play in, in the sports teams you play in, where you go on holiday. Wherever you are, God has put these people who are ready to respond. We look for them and build a friendship with them and share life. They're to stay there, eat with them, get to know them, let them get to know you. And as you do that, you can then share something of the kingdom of God and we'll come on to that. Um, I was reminded this week of a book I bought but hadn't read yet called uh, the books by Mark Sayers, who's a sort of cultural, really good on church and culture and it's called A Non-Anxious Presence. And I, was I bought this book, it looked really interesting to read, and the point of it is we live in a culture that is full of anxiety. People are worried about everything. Anxiety is on the increase. And we have an extraordinary security in God. We are at peace. Our sins are forgiven. We know the God who's made us. As the Psalms tell it, our feet are on a rock. We've got some security. We know where the world's come from. We know where it's going from. And we can be a non-anxious presence in the world around us. And people who are full of anxiety about all sorts of things will be drawn to us. Uh, and some of those will be people of peace who are really interested in what we're to say. So we're to look for people who are interested. Uh, and then we, can, then, the ne then we get to verse 9, the next bit. What do you do then? Let's put up verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there's something about to tell and there's something to pray. Now we praise God. We live in a culture with wonderful modern medicine. But it can't do everything as we know. And offering to pray for people is, a, is an extraordinary gift. And I think it's this way round works best. The offering to pray before we speak. Now the one thing the British are very good at is moaning. We're really good at that, and we're good at other things as well. Uh, but if you tell people how they are, ask how they are, and they tell you, they will probably start whinging about something. Now, some people are really concerned about their children, their parents, their job, their health. When they share something they're concerned about, please say, can I pray for you? We've been saying this as a church for years and years, and many more in the church are getting better at this, and in the small groups do tell the stories. But saying, may I pray for you, is an extraordinary thing. Uh, people are really surprised. I remember doing a hospital visit. I was wearing my dog coat, which I'm not, I don't always wear that. I usually wear it for 8 o'clock, so I kept it on this morning. Doing a hospital visit, 
and a hassled nurse came past, saw my dog collar. Say one for me, Vicar. I said, well, hold on. Why don't we say now? What's your name? What can I pray for you? I think she got a bit more than she was expecting, bless her. And I probably could have been more sensitive about the way I did it. But actually, people love to be prayed for. I shared last week, we had someone working on our house who he was sharing. And actually, I, the thought in my head was not, can I pray for you? But do you ever pray? And it just unlocked a conversation. But offering to pray for someone, and they, and they say, well, thank you very much. They don't think you'll do it, you'll do it now. Say, can I pray for you now? And they go, oh, what's going to happen? You say, well, if it's all right, can I just lay a hand on your shoulder and pray, God, thank you that you love Gloria or Humphrey or whatever they're called. Please show your love to them and heal this or do that. And when you do, may they know that it's you that's done it. In Jesus' name, amen. It can be very simple. But the number of people who, they're not going to be offered to be prayed for by others. And when you do that, it opens something up among anybody who's interested. If they're not interested, they'll let you know. Don't push it. Uh, but when we pray, often they go, gosh, I felt something. What was that? You say, well, I don't know what God's doing, but can I share a bit of my story? And Jesus tells us what we're to say. We're to say, if we put verse 9 up again, uh, we've just had that. There we are. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God is where God reigns, where things are good. And it's come within reach of you. This is Jesus' whole message. He came at the start, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Uh, we read this. After John the Baptist was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near to you. It's within reach. Repent and believe the good news. Now, repent is a word that gets bad press these days, but it literally means to change your mind. You change your thinking about God, and that will lead to changing your whole direction. I often talk about it as if we're facing this way. And we're just not aware that God's just there. If we just change our thinking that God might be there and turn round, then a whole new life opens up. But the, the message is, kind of, I was reminded of this this week, God's kingdom is within reach of everybody. Change the way you think. You need to change your thinking. God is good. He's for you. He's made you. He loves you. And when people start to ask more about that, how does that work? You can say, well, there's a problem in the way. There's sin and that needs to be forgiven and Jesus has done that. Uh, and you'll get to a point where they'll ask questions and you'll think, I'm sorry, I can't answer your question. But we have this really good course called Alpha. Please come to Alpha or something. But it's offering to pray and just sharing something simple. God is good. I believe God's good. Can I tell you a bit of my story? John McGinley encouraged us to shine a little bit of light. Just say something, even if it's, what did you do at the weekend? Well, I went to church yesterday. And if people are interested, that opens up. And we can start a conversation. Offer to pray for people. Uh, also, I mean, people ask me about people they're really in relationship with. It may be a relative who's dying, who's not a Christian. What do I do? I always encourage people to offer to pray the Lord's Prayer. Say, whatever it is, Dad, can I pray the Lord's Prayer with you? And among an older generation, if we're thinking about older people, they probably learnt in a traditional form, so it's probably worth knowing the traditional words. But hold their hands and pray the Lord's Prayer. And just offering to pray or to pray with someone is an extraordinarily powerful thing. It's one of the things we've done really well at our church school is just teach them the Lord's Prayer 
and pray it every time. And it just, it's in there. Now, previous generations had that. Most of today's generation has lost that. But start offering to pray and let them know that God is good and he's right there, not far away from them. Now, if they're not interested, move on. Don't push it, says Jesus. Verse 10 to 12. Uh, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near you. If you're not welcomed, walk away. Don't push it. You can walk away and you can pray for them if they're horrible to you. If you want to try saying this, you can. But um, just don't push it. Look for a person of peace. When you've got that, stay there. Go with them, their family, their friends, share life until the point where that becomes... Uh, an embassy for the kingdom of God. I'm sure this has something to do with our villages all around. These ancient buildings that cost a fortune to upkeep with small congregations, we don't need those. But we do need homes where Christians are there to be an embassy of the kingdom of God, where people can be prayed for and loved and the good news of God is, can be shared. Alpha can happen there. Or whatever. Uh, so much more to say, but it's time I wrapped up. Uh, let, me, let me finish. Back to verse 2. This is God's harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest. It's his work. He is a God of mission. It's not that we're trying to do mission and reluctantly persuade God to help us. It's entirely the other way around. God has a mission, and he's trying to persuade us who are reluctant to get involved in it and to get involved where you are. And too often, and I am fully guilty of this, the church has put on lots of things and said, come and help and lots of those things are right and proper and we should still do them. But not nearly enough have we said where you are in your workplaces, homes, streets, we will help equip you. And over this next 10 years, we really want to get this shift right, that the church as a whole equips every one of us to do this where we are. That is how the church has grown down the years. It's how the early church grew long before they had buildings. If you've been following Pete Gregg on his pilgrimage on Lecture 365, he's been talking about the Celtic Christians of the 7th and 8th centuries. That's how they grew. They went, they prayed, they told. Long before, then they set up centres. Uh, it's how the Chinese church has grown enormously in the last 60 years when it had to go underground, when it was banned, and they went underground in houses and shared just one-to-one -one and prayed for people and shared... And it's how the church will grow today. It's time we stopped. The clock's against me. We put a clock up there so, so I don't preach all day. But we've got years on this. Let's have the band come back and stand and we'll pray. And as we pray, one more verse. Um, going back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Just say, so please stand. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Where you are in Jerusalem and further afield, Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. So we're going to pray that God would equip us for this. Uh, not just now, but in, in the years that lie ahead. Dear Lord Jesus, how we praise you that all authority is yours, that you are risen from the dead, that even death has no authority over you. How we praise you for the way your kingdom has grown from those first disciples going out vulnerably like lambs among wolves, right through to St. Paul coming into Europe and down the years for those who taught us, friends, parents, Sunday school teachers, people who've led Alpha, who've brought us to faith. And we pray, pour your Holy Spirit down 
on our church afresh, on us individually. And not just on us here at St. Paul's, but all your people in this area, that we would be equipped to share our faith and give people a meaningful opportunity to respond. On the church in the nation around the world, we prayed for our mission partners where they are. Send your Holy Spirit and give us a fresh confidence in the good news. And we pray you'd give us opportunities, that there would be people of peace we meet at work tomorrow, in our families, in our leisure, neighbours. And that you'd give us opportunities either to offer to pray or to say something to shine a little light. And where people are interested, give us courage for more. But Lord, we praise you that you love people more than we do. It's your mission. And we want to get involved with you in what you're doing. So give us grace as a church. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the song that Michael wrote for our 150th foundation about what God has given us and then praying he'd send us out. If you've got tiny people in the youngest groups, uh, it'd be worth going to get them uh, while we sing this because they're just reaching the end of their groups now. But let's sing together. (laughs) 